part of Double P Media, doublepmedia.com. Spoiler alert, when this podcast talks about the books of his dark materials, it does so in the context of the most recent book. And when it talks about the television show on the BBC and HBO, it does so in the context of the most recent episode. You've been warned. You're listening to The Dust, a His Dark Materials podcast. Twenty twenty is coming to a close, and so we have our last second look podcast coming to you today, taking a look at his dark materials season finale for season two or series two, if you prefer. It's episode seven, entitled Asahetra, written by Jack Thorne and directed by Jamie Childs. Hey there, everybody. Double M with you. We survived the year. We're all still here, if you're listening to me. I hope that means that we're all still here. And it's been a rough one. But one of the bright spots did have to be this season of His Dark Materials, coming on the BBC and on HBO. In this particular podcast, we've got a lot of housekeeping to do, which I'll get to in a moment, but we're also going to offer some corrections that need to be made in regards to some of my takes and a couple of additional thoughts. Nothing really all that earth-breaking as usually are. My thoughts are usually not very earth-shattering at all anyway, so that's no surprise. I do have a little bit of commentary on the music that was used underneath Azrael's speech at the end of this particular episode of television. And I might even have a book thought or two. Most importantly, what we're going to be doing is going through your feedback regarding this episode. And speaking of that, if you have any thoughts for us in terms of any episode of His Dark Materials or anything about the books or what have you, Holly and I are happy to talk to you, happy to field them. In fact, we got involved into a Twitter conversation, which really we weren't all that much part of, but just today as I'm recording this, we did get a conversation that basically ended with Philip Pullman chiming in. You never know when that kind of stuff's going to happen. I love it so much. Uh, this fandom and the people who operate this show, and of course, Sir Philip Pullman, are always so kind to us fans, and really, if you want to look at it, I'm just a fan who's blathering about, sometimes with knowledge about things, sometimes just off the top of my head, discounting my knowledge of things, and I love how this community has grown for us over this particular series, too. That's all thanks to you, and I want to thank you, of course, by responding to anything that you say to us, and in regards to our contest, which I'll talk about here in a second. But if you have any thoughts, there's lots of ways to contact us. If you're on Twitter, you can tweet to at the Dust Podcast. If you'd prefer to use an email, because you don't want to limit your speech down to 200 characters, or you don't want to keep adding on thought after thought after thought by replying to your own tweets, send it all in a single email to dustpodcast at gmail.com. 
That one doesn't have the the in front of it, just so you remember. The email, no the, the Twitter has a the. And if you're really old-fashioned like me, you can even use your phone. And you can call 314-269-0421 and leave a voicemail for us, which we would be happy to play in a future podcast. One thing that you do need to keep in mind, always, in regards to this podcast, is where that one-stop shop is. Where you can find all of the back episodes, you can leave feedback in the terms of comments, you can find links to all of the other kinds of things that we are involved in. And that website is mattsaudioblog.com. That's M-A-T-T-S audioblog.com. M-A-T-T-S audioblog.com. One of the things that you'll find there is podcast app links. And if you could, please take the time to follow one of those links and then either subscribe or follow or whatever it is you do with your device to get our podcast Do that first, and then, if you could be so kind, if your app allows it, please leave us a written review of the podcast. By subscribing, downloading, and reviewing, especially the written kind of reviewing, that helps us to grow our community even more, where we might have even more interactions with Sir Philip Pullman. Uh, Thanks to Holly and Nerissa, and that's not our Holly, that's just a Holly who's been writing in to us all season long, but the two of them are the two that actually pulled uh, Sir Philip Pullman into that conversation, and that was uh, fun to see happen. Uh, Very excited, uh, because he confirmed a couple of things that they were talking about, which I'm not going to discuss here. You're going to have to just follow us on Twitter, at The Dust Podcast, and look at my favorites, and you'll find uh, the way to appropriately look through that very long chain of tweets and discussion. Leaving a written review not only helps this community grow for us as a podcast, but doing so up until just yesterday, by the time you get this recording, December 30th, also entered you into a contest to win really, really cool His Dark Materials merchandise on us. I'm springing the bill, and I'm going to get to more of that here in just a minute as well. I keep putting certain things off because there's other things that I need to talk about. We need to thank Eliana and Chloe from Girls Gone Canon for having Holly and myself on one of their Patreon episodes just recently. And please follow them. They're a great podcast discussing everything regarding his dark materials and the books in a context that is so good that I just consider myself the kitchen boy getting to sit at the scholar's table and listen to them. But we had a great time doing the podcast with them, and you should check out their Patreon if you wish. I believe that the episode that we're on will be available to Patreon supporters at the $5 a month level and up, although I'm not sure about that. You'll just have to check with them. But the best thing to do is to just check out their Patreon page, period, and that's patreon.com slash girlsgonecanon, all one word. Check them out, and uh, once again, thanks to Eliana and Chloe for having me on so that I could spew about music, uh, probably ad nauseum to <laughs> their listeners and especially to those two. Holly was there as well, and she offered some great insight 
but she's used to me just spewing and spewing and spewing. Uh, I'm not sure that Eliana and Chloe were quite ready for that uh, in, in terms of me just jumping in and spending a whole lot of time saying very little, actually. But I had a great time, and they were very gracious hosts, so be sure to check them out and all of their coverage. In fact, their season two finale coverage included a guest who has left a review for this podcast. She's a great fan of his dark materials, and we really appreciated her leaving a review a long time ago, one of the original ones, but that still entered her into our contest. And all of the people who have left reviews on podcast apps will be qualified. And I want to say this very plainly. I'm going to list the name of everybody who is qualified for the contest, which we will announce on our season wrap-up podcast, which will come out on January 5th, 2021. Now, if you hear me rattle off all these names and you've submitted either a three-word submission this season or you've left a written review on a podcast app and you don't hear your name, please contact me by January 3rd, 2021 so that we can be sure to include you in our drawing. I'm not accepting new submissions, but I am accepting people to say, hey, wait a minute, you forgot about me so that I have time to look it up and then include you in the contest appropriately. Well, whoa, wait a minute, you say, Matt, hang on, hang on here. What do I win if I win? Well, we're going to draw three names. We're going to draw a grand prize winner. We're going to draw a runner-up winner. And we're going to draw an alternate. If there's ever a scenario where our grand prize winner or our runner-up winner does not respond to us, telling us how to get them their stuff, everybody moves up. If your grand prize winner doesn't respond, then our runner-up winner becomes a grand prize winner and our alternate becomes the runner-up winner. But our grand prize winner will receive a copy of Lauren Balfe's Season 2 Original Television Soundtrack in the format of their choice, MP3s, CDs, whatever they come in. If you want it, we'll get it for you. They'll also get a choice of a t-shirt from the official merchandise store. And if you check our Twitter, you'll find that we've put that link up before. But if you win, we'll direct you to where you pick your shirt out from and we'll get it for you. doesn't matter the price. I, I originally said only a 20 pound or less price, but yeah, I don't care. I'm in the giving mood because we're about get to get rid of 2020 and I don't mind getting rid of some of uh, my money to purchase something good that supports his dark materials and get something cool for you. So whatever you choose in terms of a t-shirt, you will also get all of Holly's Philip Pullman books. No, wait, she f forbid me from doing that. So instead... We will get you a paperback copy of Once Upon a Time in the North by Philip Pullman and illustrated by John Lawrence. If you want it in a Kindle format, we can do that for you. If you want it in the paperback, we'll get it for you that way. That's kind of the backstory of Lee Scoresby. It tells a lot about how he met York Berninson and all of that stuff, which given what happened this particular season, I think is a good way to think about Lee Scoresby. You will also get a Zoom meetup with me and Holly. 
we'll figure out a time that works out for your schedule wherever you are in the U.S. or in the world. And we will invite you to a Zoom chat and we can just talk about all things His Dark Materials or other things if you wish. Now, our runner-up prize winner will get two of the things that the grand prize winner will get as well. They will get a copy of Lauren Balfe's Season 2 original television soundtrack in the format of their choice. And they will also get a Zoom meetup with myself and Holly as well. And again, we'll try and work out the schedules. I'd kind of like to do the Zoom meetup with all of us at once, but if we have to do two separate ones, we'll do that. We just want to thank you for helping us make this season great with all of your great thoughts, much better than my own always. <laughs> my thoughts are not that hard to beat, so I don't know if you want to consider what I just said a compliment or not. But we really appreciate your three words, your thoughts, and it's been wonderful to interact with you this season. People who have left podcast reviews, and that's the written kind, that's the only kind it qualifies you for because I can't tell who just left stars. But once again, Candid59, Birdnut, NGR, Bob Shimoto, Yup OK, One Dart, Alexandra Tintin Fan IUK, Ringwraith 100, and a couple of new ones, Elsa Holland and Kate Kaufman. They gave us a, an early Christmas gift and a day after a Boxing Day gift uh, by leaving reviews. Oh, and there's this other guy named Fit and Trim um, who I've never heard of. Oh, wait. Yes, I have, because he is part of the Double P family of podcasts. In fact, he is what we call the Podfather. And since we're a part of that family of podcasts, we want to remind you to go to at the word double, the letters PHQ on Twitter or Instagram and follow there. Or you can go to facebook.com slash the word double PHQ. And don't forget that our videos, including the video where we draw our contest winners next week, will be found on their YouTube channel. And that's uh, youtube.com slash user slash fit and trim. Hmm, guess that's where I've heard that before. F-I-T-T-E-N-T-R-I-M is the spelling for that. Or you can just search for the word double the letter P, media, on YouTube, and you can find them that way. But those are the review people. Again, Candid59, Birdnut, NGR, Bob Shimoto, Yup OK, One Dart, Alexandra Tintin Fan, IUK, Ringwraith100, Elsa Holland, Kate Kaufman, and that dude, Fit and Trim. Now, the other way that you were qualified for our contest was to leave us a three-word description of any His Dark Materials episode this season. And we have a ton of these, so I'm going to go through all of these. Listen for your Twitter handle. If you've left us a three-word description and you don't hear your Twitter handle here, please, again, contact me by January 3rd, 2021, in order to make sure that I get you entered into our contest. It gives me time to, you know, fact check and make sure that you submitted something. If you can help me with dates or what have you, or apps or wherever you did this stuff, then that helps me too to nail it down. And that way I can include you. But here is the list that I have right now. And unless I get petitioned to make additions, this will be the final list for the Twitter handles. At Amet Farouk K06, at Alan underscore McElwraith, at Alexandra XXY, 
at alienday426, at birdnut95, at camchz, at canted59, at chris1989gene, at claire underscore m, at demons and dust, that's with two t's, our friends over at dark materials tv, at Dark Material Pod, that's Ian and Amy who do the Dark Materials podcast. Definitely check them out. I've got more to say about them later. Uh, at Della Underwood, that's D-E-L-O Underwood. Great follow. Follow her. One of my favorite follows in terms of his Dark Materials, at Dragonfell UK, that's Jonathan. Check him out. At Dr. Doggo, love that name. At Dudson Warren, the Hedge Knight. One of our first followers on Twitter and uh, somebody who takes his dark materials very seriously, and we love him for it. At Dulce M. Lopez 2014, that's a new entry. At Emma Line 234, at Girls Gone Cannon, at Gorgavan R, at Harley or Coulter 324B21, at His Dork Material, at HJS. Ameli, I'm assuming that that's how that's read. I'll just spell it here real quick. H-J-S-A-M-E-L-I. Then we have Holly, not our Holly, but the Holly who actually got the Philip Pullman tweet, at H-Tracy-084, at Ibster-5, at Josh-HDM, at Catherine, with a K, M-S-H, at Kelslab. At Laws0908, at Linsulin underscore Junkie, love that Twitter handle, at MacDaily360, at McLeod underscore Miles, at MiniJLC, at Mr. underscore EM Jeffries, at Mrs. Delamere, at Mile underscore L underscore V, at Narissa underscore Suku, who is another person involved in that Philip Pullman tweet. At New Older. At OB534. At Ophelia underscore La Loca. At One Dart Lou. At Rebel Girl. That's like R E. And then Bell, like La Belle Sauvage. And then G R R L. They've done so many retweets of our stuff. We really appreciate that. Thank you so much. At Rebel Girl. Uh, at Ruth Smedley 2. At Saja D's. At Scoops Ahoy Robin. Love that one. At Simsom. At She's There One. At Spawn of Oz. At Stella ESM. At Swords underscore Drawn. At The Moon Had Wings. At Tom I, or Tommy, Marion 6, that's Y-E on the Tommy, and Marion with an O in the number 6, at Traveling Vet 42, at Warriors spelled with a 10 and an R-Z, at We Need E-U, at Wraiths of Dust, who is our friend Ringwraith 100, and finally, somebody who offered to not be in the contest, but at Michael VK1, that's V-E-E-K-A-Y-1, uh, who has submitted all season but wanted to abstain from winning a prize because they work for the show. 
And uh, we really appreciate that, Michael. Thank you so much. By the way, be sure to follow him on Twitter because he's been involved in the creation of so many cool things that you see on his Dark Materials. And one of the funnest things that we found out uh, with the finale being aired was that the rifle that Lee Scoresby used had some design influences and some creation influences from a, a blaster owned by Han Solo. And he just recently put out a tweet describing that. So be sure to follow him because he's a great follow. Plus, some of his tweets that don't have anything to do with his dark materials are absolutely hilarious. Uh, love that guy. So uh, really appreciate you, Michael VK, for giving everybody else a chance. There are a couple of other things that we need to credit here. On YouTube, Null Test Channel, Null Test Channel is an entrant. And via email, our friends at TV Podcast Industries are also an entrant. And they are on Twitter, at TV Pod Industries. You should give them a follow. They cover a lot of great shows, just like the Double P covers a lot of great shows as well. And as I mentioned, follow our friends and our podcast family at the word double the letters PHQ on Twitter and Insta, or go to facebook.com slash the word double the letters PHQ. Don't forget they had been covering the Mandalorian on Disney Plus, and you can still catch all of their back episodes on their YouTube or on their feed. If you're looking for it in the terms of an audio podcast form, look for Parsec Passion. That's a double P. Hmm. Double P Network putting on a double P podcast works anyway uh so that's what's going on with all of that i mentioned that if you left a review that entered you into the contest and once again if you didn't hear your name please get back to me by january 3rd 2021 so that i can be sure to include you if you had submitted something and i missed you somehow but in addition to leaving written reviews entering you into the contest you also have the pleasure of me reading those reviews. I keep waiting for one that's really, really scathing because I think it would be fun for that listener if they chose to listen again uh, to hear their review of me being scathed or the podcast being scathed because I take it all with kind of a grain of salt. Like I said, I'm just a fan who gets to spew into a microphone and I certainly don't do it better than anybody else. Holly does it better. My Holly, the one who's on this podcast with me for the first looks, she does it very good. She is wonderful in terms of commenting about the show. Me, I just go here, there, everywhere. Maybe I get a little serious with the music, but for the most part, I'm just a fan uh, who gets to have a lot of fun spewing into a microphone. I keep going off on tangents. Let me read these reviews. Uh, they're both from the U.S. Apple Podcast Store. The first one is from Elsa Holland, and it came in on Christmas Eve, December 24th, 2020, with a five-star rating. So that was a wonderful early Christmas gift that you gave us here, Elsa. The title of her review is Enlightening and Enjoyable, and she continues to say, I genuinely enjoy these podcasts, and not just because one of the hosts is also named Holly. <laughs> and I believe also living in Louisiana. The discussion and feedback are both great, and they've always taken the time to read everyone's feedback and discuss it. There's a great music segment Matt does, and Holly's book knowledge is extremely comprehensive. There are so many ways to interpret the show, and it's amazing to hear so many different ideas 
or thoughts about what could be going on or where it may be going from there. Thank you so much, Elsa Holland, for that review. This one comes from Kate Kaufman, and this was our Boxing Day gift, or maybe just a late Christmas present, but we really appreciate this, Kate. Another five-star review that is entitled, Matt's Musical Musings Make Material More Meaningful. Wait a minute, that's a one, two, three, four, five, six. That's a 7M. I don't even know how to say 7. Uh, septuplet M? Instead of a double M, it's a septuplet M? Thank you very much, Kate, for making that effort. I really appreciate that. That's fun. Kate goes on to say, this is a great podcast. What sets it apart from all others is Matt's musical interpretation of each episode. Learning how music affects and enhances the episode has been a real eye-opener for me. I find myself so much more aware of music, not only with his Dark Materials episodes, but with other shows and movies that I watch, thus enhancing my enjoyment of them. I have Matt to thank for that. Oh, well, I have you to thank for listening. I try to just work towards my passion. So that's the one thing that I'm good at. I played music for a lot of years, so it's fun to sometimes just uh, talk about music rather than having to play it all of the time. Finally, getting into some content here. And now we'll turn to some content regarding this particular episode, or at least this particular season of His Dark Materials Series 2. One of my favorite people, Jonathan, who is at Dragonfell UK, starts off our corrections section, who says, Nine episodes into my Christmas rewatch of His Dark Materials Series 1 and 2, six episodes left to go, Lyra did see Boreal at Mrs. Coulter's cocktail party through the window whilst talking to Adele. In her defense... Taking in new people with Mrs. Coulter wasn't top of mind. So I had said, my take was that they had kind of reinvented the way in one of the previous liaisons to make sure that we knew that Lyra would eventually recognize Boreal. But I just didn't see it based on my memory of the particular episode, I believe it's the second episode of series one where uh, Boreal comes to the party. And I had just maintained that the previously on in, in this particular season was kind of stitched together to make it look a little more appropriate. But at Dragonfell UK, Jonathan, he actually sent me screenshots and listed how, how it went in what order, which I don't think there's a need to share that here. I wouldn't know how I would do that in a in an audio podcast, and we don't do videos for our second looks. But uh, it was quite clear to me that Jonathan here at Dragonfell UK is correct. And I, once again, sit at my microphone corrected. That's not an uncommon thing. I mean, I'm wrong all of the time. I actually almost kind of enjoy being wrong because then I get to be mocked a little bit by you all, uh, because I do like making fun of myself uh, as much as possible. I feel like that keeps me happy and healthy, to be perfectly honest. If I took everything so seriously, uh, I'd probably have died of a heart attack a long time ago. Now, in response to our first look of this particular episode, Asa Hetra, um, our friend at Wraiths of Dust, that's Ringwraith100, tweeted this to us. When you two talked about the set being redressed in terms of the Alamo Gulch, 
They filmed that on location, according to Lynn Manuel Miranda, and it was filmed in the Forest of Dean or something like that. Just thought I should mention it. True. Absolutely true. Uh, at Wraiths of Dust. Uh, after I saw Lynn Manuel tweet that out uh, with a couple of really cool videos of him and Andrew Scott acting like they were in Jurassic Park movie, <laughs> which was really funny. Uh, but uh, then I thought, oh, okay, so that wasn't a set. The thing that came to me most about that wasn't so much whether it was a location or not, but just finding boulders like that over and over and over again. Uh, that's kind of what I meant by redressing, maybe turning the boulder over a different way so it's a slightly different shape, but still roughly enough of a size to help hide Lee Scoresby and Japari from gunfire or Lee Scoresby and Hester from gunfire. Um, that's kind of what I was thinking about, but they did all feel like they were in very close together located location wise, uh, which made me think that you could possibly redress that set. Once again, I sit at my microphone corrected. And thank you very much. At Wraith of Dust, Ring Wraith 100. I managed to get through almost the whole season without messing that name up. And I promised myself that I would mess it up uh, at some point. But thank you so much for that tweet and clarification. Do have just a couple of additional thoughts regarding this particular episode, Asahetra. The first one is when we found out that we weren't going to get the Asriel episode, I didn't understand, as I was watching this finale, how we were getting Asriel at all. Because I figured James McAvoy's schedule probably didn't allow him to get there until after filming had con- the rest of filming had concluded, and he was just going to come and do whatever pickup stuff he was going to do for the rest of the episodes and do the Asriel-centric standalone episode as the filming so when they said okay we can't do that because you know covid i just figured that everything was gone so i was really shocked when i saw james mcavoy and evidently so were a lot of other people it evidently took quite a bit of work to make that actually happen uh, so that he did end up in that episode There's an article on the Radio Times uh, from the 20th of December of 2020 that you can find regarding uh, what the producers and Mr. McElvoy had to go through in order to be able to film this last scene that we saw in the finale. Well, until Mrs. Coulter, you know, is pulling around some double L, Lyra luggage. And then, of course, the huge surprise at the end as well. Uh, with Roger. But in summation, this article outlines how McElvoy essentially came in and secretly filmed in front of a green screen in order to make that scene happen. And uh, Jack Thorne uh, said that executive producer Dan McCulloch moved mountains to make it happen. And James McElvoy very brilliantly and generously came in and gave us a COVID day. So this evidently was after everything was closed. I'm sure a lot of precautions had to be taken. Uh, My friend Catfish, who podcasts with my friend Bubba on all of the other Double P podcasts, he is an actor and he's told me some stories since the pandemic has happened about the processes that everybody who works on a set has to go through in order to be able to film anything. 
So it doesn't really say at when McElvoy came in. So uh, I don't know exactly when he came in. Things may have been smoothed out a little better uh, by that time, but it still had to be a, a tremendous amount of doing for the entire show just to give us one scene of James McElvoy and one scene of Azrael. And I just wanted to comment how much I applaud that. And I'm sure a great deal of care was taken. As I said, my friend Catfish has worked as an actor sometimes uh, during this pandemic. And a great deal of care is taken uh, to protect the actors, to protect the crew, to protect everybody involved, probably all the way down to caterers. Or I guess they call them crafts in the business. But I, I just wanted to applaud that. And I encourage you uh, to seek out that Radio Times article and read about it because uh, there's a lot of things mentioned in there. Additionally, Entertainment Weekly said because they had to move on with this particular season, we're not likely to get that Asriel uh, standalone. Uh, unless it would just to be a special standalone, you know, literal special. And uh, it doesn't seem like that would be too likely, um, given that the story has now kind of passed it up. So that's kind of disheartening in a way that uh, this series, particular series, series two, will forever be a seven episode series um, because of damn germs, which is awful. But I'm glad that care was taken and, uh, you know, for everybody out there in the world who's starting to get inoculations and whatever, we're still not exactly safe. So please be careful and use your brains. Um, that's all I'm going to say about that. Somebody who used his brain a lot in this particular episode is uh, Japari. He was uh, communicating with Will telepathically, psychokinetically, however you want to call it. But when he was doing it, it seemed pretty obvious that it would be plausible when he is in Chittagaze and Will is in Chittagaze. But I feel like we have to ask this question now. And what I love is, I said I'd mention this earlier, but you can find a brief discussion of this on the Dark Materials podcast coverage of this particular episode. Again, darkmaterialspodcast.com. Ian and Amy are so good and funny. And if you've never listened to them, I imagine if you're listening to me, you've already listened to them. But they are so good, and I love their podcast. And they brought this up in terms of the question of the very first episode of the series, this the City of Magpies episode for Series 2. And we know that Will was reading Dad's letters, and then all of a sudden he was having premonitions of the knife, and he was looking up at the tower. And the question that they ask, and that I ask, is was that supposed to be a similar thing happening to Will then, as Japari's communications were in this particular episode. If they weren't the same thing, then what kind of a coincidence is it? If they were the same thing, then is Japari powerful enough to transmit through worlds like that? Or was he assisted, now that we know that angels are involved with all of this, did the angels help maybe carry the message in a way, since they are essentially the shadow particles, everything that exists between all of the universes. Maybe it's just a coincidence. Maybe the angels were actually just telling Will that, and then Poppy came in at the end and said, hey, I know that message too. I'm going to replay it for you. 
but just the whole idea of getting uh, the coincidence of a message from two different sources seems weird, not implausible, but weird to me. And I guess my question to you is, what do you think about this? Send your tweets to at the dust podcast on Twitter. Send your emails to dustpodcast at gmail.com, or you can call 314-269-0421 and leave a voicemail. That is all that I have. I know that 90% of all of this stuff was uh, housekeeping for the podcast, but I really appreciate you sticking it out and uh, hearing my two little points here. I would love to hear your thoughts on anything regarding this finale anytime just because we're going to be taking a break after we do our season two wrap-up podcast doesn't mean that we won't be around to interact with you. Speaking of interactions, I asked for three words for this episode, and I got a bunch, so that's next. About time we got to your feedback, right? That's what you're saying. I'm sorry it took me so long. Here we go. We're going to start with three words. That's where we tried to describe the episode in three words. And we are, again, talking about Series 2, Episode 7, a Sahetra at Coulter324B21, slash Harley, says, Lyra is Eve. Excellent. At Dello Underwood, who is Dolores, says, heartbroken twice. So true. At HJS Amelie is how I'm going to pronounce that, but it's H-J-S-A-M-E-L-I on the Twitter. Goes by Clocker as their name. Father's Bravery Sacrifice. Excellent. Dulce M. Lopez, 2014, says, Choice Destiny Fall. Love it. She's There One on Twitter at She's there one says alethiometer fall knife excellent at ibster five who goes by ibster says chaos in cages hmm. at josh hdm says angels lee suitcase excellent and also there's a little crying emoji next to lee so i uh, appreciate that very much I miss him too. Uh, Stella Esmeralda, who is at Stella ESM, says, Witches, Lee, Lyra. And also adds a crying emoji. Oh, we're all getting all in our feels here. At Dark Materials TV, Reunion, Losses, and War. Excellent. Kelly, who is at Kelslab on Twitter, who always offers great stuff, says, heartbreaking, loyalty, love, and adds, the love and loyalty Lee felt for Lyra as he protected her alone until his heartbreaking death, his love for Hester as he sweetly said to her, don't you go before me, and the love in John Perry's eyes as he saw the shooter and gave his life. Lots of crying emojis here. Uh, we're getting in these tweets. Uh, appreciate it. Thank you very much, Kelly. At Wraiths of Dust, who is Ring Wraith 100. Barely got that out correctly. Three words. Lee died trying. 
trying to protect Lyra and Japari, and gosh darn it, I'm going to go cry now and rewatch the episode where Lee was alive and well. I've always hated Japari for breaking his word, but his death here was so much better than the books. Ooh. Although, I'm wondering how that soldier got there. I've also said this before, but I'm so glad they kept the book's dialogue for Lee because we already have an emotional connection to it. And Ringwraith adds this. Okay, so after watching the finale on HBO, Lee dies with his eyes open, but when Serafina comes to do whatever she does, his eyes are closed. Jopari also dies with his eyes closed. This was something that came up, I believe, with her Dark Materials podcast. They got to interview Lin-Manuel Miranda, and there was something about BBC would not accept a shot with Serafina arriving on him with open eyes, even though we do see his eyes are open as we see little wisps of Hester going away. Now, when I watch that shot, I see that the close-up is on Serafina, and stays with her until the point where she leans over to kiss Lee on the forehead. And she does reach out with her hand before that. So I always thought of that as her reaching out with her hand, closing Lee's eyes, and then putting her hand on the side of his head as she gives him a kiss. And I guess that the BBC didn't want them to see her actually closing his eyes. But I'm not real sure about that. Um, The girls from Her Dark Materials, be sure to follow them and listen to their podcast. Uh, They did the interview with Lin-Manuel Miranda uh, where all of this came out. So be sure to give that podcast a listen. Jonathan, who is at Dragonfell UK, says three words for me. Journeys, trunk, Roger. This is truly awful, but no sleeping bag for Lyra Instead, she gets to sleep in a trunk. Wonderful episode to close out what has been an awesome season. As book readers, we knew much of what would be coming, but that didn't make it any easier for me. The main changes I felt were all in line with the arc of the season and so worked for me in the adaptation. I particularly like the Angelica, Paolo, and Mary take, although I guess we may not get to see Angelica and Paolo again in season three. I would have liked to see Will find that Lyra had disappeared as it would give more purpose to his position now than perhaps a more cinematically epic conclusion. Lee and Hester's stand at Alamo Gulch was perfect. I don't think it could have been realized any better. I know Lin-Manuel Miranda as Lee has been controversial for some, but he has been great for me. Having Lee as a father figure rather than then perhaps a grandfather figure for Lyra adds so much more to their relationship for me. Thank you very much, Jonathan. Love all of those thoughts. Jonathan also added some secret Commonwealth stuff, which I am going to have a book section at the end of this particular podcast, but I'm not going to address that. Holly's going to be back for our season wrap-up, and we will address uh, everything else uh, regarding the secret Commonwealth stuff that you brought up in that podcast. One other thought here. I love season one, but the nature of the subtle knife as a character-driven story rather than the action of Northern Lights has enabled 
this season to surpass the first for me. Excellent. Thank you at Dragonfell UK for those thoughts. Uh, we did have some responses to our first look podcast. This one comes from our friend Holly, who actually Holly has offered to find us a copy of the 10th anniversary edition of The Subtle Knife. And uh, we're still waiting for it to arrive. But if we get it in time and if it's in better than fair condition, we will offer that in part of our grand prize as well. But Holly says, I really like that Joppery saw that shot coming, turns Will around before he knows what's happening, and then just waits for it. Thought that was a great way to do it. Really glad it wasn't some P.O.'d witch. <laughs> and Joppery is so lying to Will about going home, and it's so sad that Will doesn't see it because he wants to believe that they will. I feel like Joppery instinctively turns Will away from the bullet as a father, but stands there and waits for it as a shaman, making sure Will can't move into the line of fire. Ooh, excellent thoughts, Holly. Really appreciate it. And again, myself and at Hunt Pants, Holly, we were having the discussion about whether Joppery knew what was going to happen or not. And I think that... Uh, this Holly's opinion uh, seems to verify our Holly's opinion uh, in terms of that he did know it was going to happen. So thank you very much for that, Holly. Holly also had a fascinating conversation with at Narissa underscore Suku. And I read her tweet here in a minute that kind of inspired this whole conversation. But Holly was talking about uh, the surprise that she had at herself when she found herself unable to not cry. Uh, over the ending of Lee and Hester. And it's a really long read if I were to read the entire conversation verbatim here, so I'm going to leave that off. But it did involve questions as to whether the show had invested Holly enough into buying into the feelings uh, of being like a father, uh, that those feelings that Lee had about Lyra. In the end, Holly uh, evidently just can't stop crying, um, she is at HTracy084, so send her lots of crying emojis. Uh, don't do that. Don't be mean. But uh, Holly evidently still can't keep uh, crying over it, and, and she commended the show for surprising her in that way about herself, despite the lack of investment that she felt. Um, so that was great. And it was these conversations with at Narissa Suku who inspired... Uh, Sir Philip Pullman to, to chime in. Eventually the conversation got to a point of reading the books is kind of like reading the alethiometer in terms of the interpretation and everything. And, and Sir Philip actually tweeted into the conversation saying, that's the way I intended it. Glad you read it that way, uh, which is fantastic. Love it, love it, love it, love it. But the tweet that inspired all of this stuff actually came up with at uh, Narissa underscore Suku who said, my heart sobbed enough after watching the finale on both the BBC and HBO, and then it sobbed again after listening to the latest episode of the Dust Podcast that I had to take a long walk. And there's lots of crying emojis there. Nothing bad. That's how good the episode was. The podcast episode? Really? Marissa Suku? We tried to... Uh, it was hard to keep it together for both Holly and I when we recorded that First Look podcast. Very hard to keep it together. Um, I just figure that I, the reason why people cry 
after listening to this first look podcast covering this episode was most likely because my doubles and my double jokes were so bad that you can't help but cry. Um, you're crying for the fact that uh, I am completely lost. But I don't want to make this all about me. I really don't. Uh, as uh, Girls Gone Canon uh, tried to point out to me earlier today that I shouldn't try to make everything all about me. <laughs> uh, again, give them a follow at Girls Gone Canon on the Twitter. Uh, Ring Wraith 100 at Wraith of Dust had more to add in terms of response to our podcast. So after listening to this, I did cry, but that was during the musical analysis. I love the rest of the podcast, but I really think Lee's theme is underrated compared to Lyra's and Mrs. Coulter's, etc., etc. I love that you talked about it more, so thanks, but also Lee's choice from the original television soundtrack has to be my favorite track for this season, and it always makes me tear up. Yeah, there's something about the way those Copeland harmonizations and uh, almost we call them voicings, how far the chords are stretched apart or the way that they move together or in different directions. Um, Aaron Copeland was a genius at really creating some real emotion. And uh, the performances is something that you can never overlook because no matter how good Lauren Balfe writes a piece of music, it's totally dependent on how well it's performed. And I believe it was the Vienna Orchestra that did this season's soundtrack. And they just did an amazing job. So thank you so much for all of those thoughts. One other comment on our YouTube. And this one comes from, oh, somebody I don't know really, but I, I'll call him Bubba uh, just to protect his name. And it said, take down this podcast. Matt sounds drunk because he says that he loves doing podcasts with Catfish and then adds some double B. Uh, double B. Bubba bashing. Hmm. I can't imagine that you would find that offensive, uh, sir. Although I have to once again ask myself, is this dust or is it Atlanta Falcons? Not sure. We do have some other YouTube comments coming, but uh, as far as we know, the person who made those comments only listens to us on the Double P Media YouTube, and so we're going to save those for our Season 2 wrap-up coming out on January 5th in the audio podcast world, and whenever Bubba wants to put them up on the Double P Media YouTube, uh, but uh, we will get to your comments Null test channel, null test channel. That's a double null test channel, given that you're probably not listening to this particular audio podcast right now. We got a lot of responses from our polls this week. I guess everybody was in the Christmas spirit, or they were just eager to get all of these polls that I put up every week over with. <laughs> but we really appreciate you taking the time to vote on the polls. It means a lot to us to see that kind of interaction with you all. And they're usually regarding mine and Holly's what's worse questions, where we debate what is worse in the episode, and we have to take different sides, and we have to argue passionately, and then we leave it for you guys to decide who won. One of those polls was, what's worse, kicking your demon or sticking your daughter in a suitcase? An overwhelming 79.4% of you said 
packing your daughter, sticking your daughter in a suitcase was worse. I think that's the point that I argued. So once again, I win. On the other hand, I did not win this poll and I lost it by the largest margin possible. There were 3,400 votes on the 100 Twitter for this, but I've never seen a poll come back like this. 100% of the recipients went one way and 0% went my way. But the question was, what's worse, losing your father or realizing you lost your best friend at the same time that you lost your father? 100% of you voted for Holly's argument saying that losing your dad and your best friend is worse, which if you do the math, two is greater than one. I just happened to do the reverse math thinking that one was worse than two. And so I said, okay, well, uh, losing, just losing your father is worse. Obviously, my logic is just a little flawed. Not nearly as flawed as when I created this poll, uh, because Holly and I had some fun with our What's Worse questions in our First Look podcast, and we asked, what's worse for Holly and myself in regards to doing what's worse? And we had four choices. What's worse, making Holly do a what's worse? Or living with the result of making Holly do a what's worse? Or having a bad what's worse? Or having Matt fire you by judging your what's worse harshly. Only about half as many votes on this as we got on the rest of our polls this week. And I don't know why any of you responded at all. But out of those four choices, making Holly do a what's worse and living with the result of making Holly do a what's worse got the fewest votes, which is totally appropriate. Because let's be honest, Holly never does a bad what's worse. And she typically wins these polls all of the time. And I am so jealous of her for that. The second highest vote getter at 20% was having Matt fire you by judging your what's worse harshly. But the winner, with a clear majority, 53.3%, was just having a bad what's worse in general. And uh, that means that I'm the worst all the time. That's what that means. Something that I don't feel like I'm quite worse at is talking about the music. And that's going to be next, where we're going to take a look at the ending of this particular episode. Well, not quite the ending of this particular episode. The music that played underneath Azrael's stirring speech. That's a double S. Be right back. Hey, looky there. I left a name off of our contestants list. Fancy that. This is why you have to listen to those names and make sure that you're on there. At Keegan Brink, you are added to our contest. Completely forgot all about all of our DMs earlier this season. Thanks so much for your conversation. Once again, I cannot emphasize enough how much getting all of this feedback from you all, all season long, has filled my heart, and I'm sure it's filled Holly's heart as well, even though she can't speak here right now. I'm sure she will say the same thing in our wrap-up podcast. And once again, if you're not into my music analysis, skip ahead about 11 and a half minutes and you'll be through it. 
I do a lot of rambling, and I don't know that things are that much different in my music sections or not, but I do tend to feel a little more focused in my music sections. And I really only have one thing to talk about today, and that's the music that was playing underneath Azriel's speech. And if you've been following the music of Mr. Balf from back when he first released the music anthology of Volume 1 regarding the music that would be in Series 1, not the original television soundtrack, because all of that is a result of the original themes that he created. And the original themes that he created, you can find in the Music Anthology, Volume 1. But in that music that was underneath Azrael's speech, if you go back to that original record, you might hear something that sounds very familiar between the two of them. There was this ostinato, meaning this line that just continues on no matter what the harmony is, an ostinato line in a string instrument that repeated over and over and over again. I'm talking about this one. And that really stuck out to me for a couple of reasons. First of all, if you didn't know, Mr. Balf spent much of his childhood playing drums more than anything else. He's he's a drummer uh, by heart and by nature. And that makes him a rhythmologist. Let me play this line for you again and count how many notes there are, how many different notes there are before the pattern repeats. Let me play it for you actually a little slower here. So what you find is that It's a count of seven before the cycle kind of repeats, right? Seven's a very weird number for us humans. Not because of the numerical connotations, biblical or what have you. But the fact that for some reason, we humans, even though we don't like our harmony to be symmetrical... We do love our counts to be symmetrical, something that is divisible by two or at most by three. And anytime you get outside of that kind of divisional count, things start to feel uncomfortable for us. In this case, a seven means that even if something is in four, four and something in this seven count is playing against it with the beat, it only all lines up again every seven measures. Another lack of symmetry. And that makes us feel odd. Not necessarily bad, but it always kind of gets our attention. And that was used in this particular piece with Azrael. If you want to look for it on the season two original television soundtrack, it's cut 34 and it's called Goodbye Explorer. And you'll hear it. About the the 52nd mark, you're going to hear that string line chime in on that cut. One thing that you will also find is that everything about this particular cut is a recreation from something that was on that original musical anthology, Volume 1 record. If you go back to that anthology record, you will find a cut called A Plea to Fate. It's track number 11 on the 
anthology record and compare it to track 34 Goodbye Explorer on this season two original television soundtrack. They're essentially the same thing. There are a couple of differences, which means that maybe Mr. Balf repurposed this. Maybe it was even just a difference in the mix, but there is something different about the beginning and there is something different about the end, which makes me think that when he originally wrote this theme, he called it a plea to fate. And it doesn't seem any more fitting than to be used right here where Azrael is pleading with the angels to join his side. And in a larger sense, the angels are kind of directing the action here. They're the ones who told Mary she has to leave. They may be the whispers on the wind that the witches have heard regarding this prophecy. So in a way, they are kind of fate in itself. And it all makes sense. But just to demonstrate how similar these two tracks are, let's start by listening to this section of A Plea to Fate, track number 11 on the musical anthology, volume one. Now I'm going to go to track 34 in the season two original television soundtrack, Goodbye Explorer, and I'm going to play you a piece that will sound almost exactly like what we just heard. And this is part of what was playing underneath Azrael's speech. Now, here's the kicker. Everything, even the choir singing, as we get towards the end of that scene with Azrael, is pretty much a re-examination of this A Plea to Fate track from the original music anthology. Listen to how the choir sounds here. Now, notice that ending and the way it ended with coming back to that ostinato line that we talked about earlier. That's not the way the piece with Azrael ended. Instead, it ended with this long-held-out note. But one of the things that composers learn to do is sometimes they write stuff and the showrunners say, I don't know if I want that in my thing. But you keep it around. 
because maybe another situation will work where it does fit. And it just so happened that in this particular case, both the title, A Plea to Fate, from the music anthology, and essentially Azrael making a plea to the angels, makes this track kind of stand out in Mr. Bouse's mind. And he says, hey, we never really used that thing that I did before. How would it work here? And it turns out it works perfectly here. But maybe the showrunner said, well, we can't have that straying violin line at the end or that straying string line at the end because this has to be a definite moment for Azrael. And Lauren says, great, I'll just put a big glow note at the very end. And they do the recording. Showrunners and director looks at it and says, whoa, that's great. Why didn't you bring us this to us before? And Mr. Balfe's probably slapping his forehead going, I did. Or maybe not. Maybe they just found this to be the place best to use it. Maybe we've even heard some of these motifs before, but it just seems really appropriate to bring it to this particular context in the original way, where it wasn't brought in the original way before. I told you to notice the end of that last cut that I just played. Now... Listen to this, and you're going to hear the same choir kind of singing, and you're going to hear everything else be pretty much the same. Maybe the mix is a little different. Maybe it's been reorchestrated in a way that brings out more of the brass as opposed to the strings, and there's no synthy kind of sounds in it. Like if you listen to the music anthology track, A Plea to Fate, you hear a lot more synthy kind of things in it. You don't hear that in this particular cut. It's either been mixed out, or they just re-recorded this thing verbatim and uh, the new piece with the new orchestration and what have you is the cut 34, Goodbye Explorer. But here is the last part of Azrael's speech, sans the dialogue. It's from cut 34 on the season two original television soundtrack. And just remember the ending that you just heard and compare it to the ending that you hear now. Otherwise, it's essentially the same piece of music. And it's brilliant that Mr. Balf was able to pull this out from stuff that was already cataloged that would work perfectly for this scene. A scene that may not have even happened if Mr. McElvoy couldn't have gotten in to take a COVID day and film it. And I will be back with some closing thoughts for TV-only people in just a moment. Finally, 2020 is coming to an end. Are we not happy about that? Hopefully 2021 will be a little bit better. It'll have a rough start, but it'll be a little bit better. And I would just like to tip my glass to you and give a toast and say thank you so much for being our friends this season of His Dark Materials. I will be back with Holly and our season wrap-up podcast where we will announce the winners of our contest. We will actually draw the winners of our contest as we record, and we will videotape that, and you'll be able to check that out 
on the Double P Media YouTube. We will make sure that that gets up there because there's nothing funnier than seeing me draw names from a hat. Trust me. Catfish had to do that with the Shaga Surprise podcast covering Lovecraft Country, and he just got tickled, and rightfully so. And I sound like that I've already been drinking from the bottle this New Year's Eve anyway, don't I? I kind of sound like that. Actually, I haven't, because I still have book talk coming up. TV only, people. Thank you so much. Have a great, safe celebration of 2021 coming in our door. And we will see you next time on the Dust Podcast. Book people, stick around. I know you don't like my thoughts all that much because they're not Hollies, but I've got book thoughts. Tweet the podcast at the Dust Podcast. Send emails to dustpodcast at gmail.com or call 314-269-0421. Please subscribe, rate, and review wherever you get your podcasts. Part of Double P Media, doublepmedia.com. Book reader only section, unless you want to be spoiled about things that may or may not come up in the television series in the future. And if you don't mind being spoiled, then I'm perfectly fine with having you here. If you do mind being spoiled, get out of here. I mean, come on. I've given you warning enough. So here we go in three, two, one. So we have Mrs. Coulter taking Lyra away in the suitcase. Not quite the sleeping bag. Maybe we'll see a sleeping bag later on. Maybe not. But everyone is wondering, does Mrs. Coulter have that locket on her that she will clip a piece of Lyra's hair and put in, which will be used against Lyra somewhere down the line? Hmm. The way I looked at it was, unless... Mrs. Coulter went back home and got a whole bunch of clothes or a whole bunch of change of stuff between the time that she grabbed Lyra and the time that we see her on the boat, then she's still got to have that same necklace on that she had on earlier in the episode when she was still in Chittagatse. And I looked for screenshots after screenshots. I tried different things. The most I could get was blurry. Most of the time, her scarf from her safari getup, her double S, her Spectre safari, was covering the necklace up completely. But you could just see little strands of gold of the actual necklace itself. You couldn't see what was hanging from it. I did find one shot when she was actually getting down on the level with the monkey in this episode where you can see it sticking out and it's actually swinging quite a bit. So it got, was too blurry. You couldn't really tell if it was just a flat piece or if it was a locket. So honestly, we just don't have any idea if they want to use a different kind of necklace and say, Oh, this is the locket in season three. Well, they can just say, I guess that she went home. She does have different clothes on when she's on the boat she has a new scarf completely covering up her neck, so you can't see if she's even got a necklace on or not. We're just going to have to see, I guess, when season three comes around. But I tried. 
hey, I tried. I tried to find the locket. I tried to follow the locket clues, and I failed. All I got was a bunch of blurry shots, which doesn't really tell me anything. On to Japerie here. I'm going to assume, and we all know what that does to you and me, but uh, I'm going to assume that just as a book nod, we're supposed to believe that the man bun was covering up Japerie's trepanning. That's what I'm going to just guess at. You know, it's one of those things where showrunners say, oh, here's something for the book people, like the 30,000 years ago trepanning or whatever that uh, would have been so informative in regards to its relationship to the original Angel Rebellion. But instead, they choose to do these things like, oh, let's just put a man bun on Andrew Scott. And that way, people can just assume that trepanning is there, and we never have to mention it or go into any of that exposition. Also, we'll just have him put his hood over his head when he's actually doing the magic thing. So then you can think, well, maybe he took the man bun down, and, you know, that's how the dust communicated, and that's how he did his magic and what have you. I know, I'm rambling. When I don't have Holly to rein me in, I just ramble and ramble and ramble about book stuff that I'm really not an expert at. I'm just a kind of a casual book reader. So feel free to yell at me on Twitter at the Dust Podcast, or you can send emails to dustpodcast at gmail.com, or you can call 314-269-0421. But I was just thinking about all of this stuff, and I, the one reference that I can think of were showrunners want book readers in on something that might go over the heads of a TV audience is the whole deal where Tyrion in Game of Thrones took Podrick to the strip club, more or less, to thank him, to the brothel, to thank him for saving his life, right? And he introduced Podrick to a particular person who was capable of doing the Marinese knot, which is a total book thing. Uh, it's it's something that was explained well by podcasters all over the place. Oh, well, this is what this actually means. It's the fact that George can't figure out how to write Winds of Winter, which he still hasn't figured out how to write, because he's got all of these people around Marine, and it's all kind of tied up in a knot. So the Marinese knot was definitely a reference just for book readers within a television show, that didn't need any further explanation. That's the way I feel like the man bun is uh, for Japari. But I do wonder if there will be any link made between when trepanning started in our world or whatever, and how that correlates with the timing of a prior angelic rebellion or when the rebellion really kind of officially started. And I love the idea of Azrael using that those who have rebelled, that past tense in his speech, because that also is a book reference that to us book readers doesn't need any further explanation, really, but can still leave something to be revealed for a TV audience if they choose to do so. Whether they choose to just throw that aside or 
to actually make it important part of exposition for season three. I don't have any idea, but I do know that there's something that they cannot hide in series three. And that is the Roger actor. What we have to hope (laughs) is that Roger hasn't grown two feet since season one, the actor who plays him, whose name escapes me right now. But uh, you saw what happened to, uh, again, I'll go back to Game of Thrones, to Bran and Rickon. They were growing so fast as boys that you couldn't hide it, uh, that the show wasn't able to keep up or wasn't able to keep them aged down like they were supposed to. And Bran wasn't even standing any of the time, but he was still like seven feet tall. And you could tell, even when he was just sitting in the tree. So I hope that they don't have a similar situation with this uh, actor who plays Roger, uh, because that might be awkward in some of the World of the Dead scenes or any of these dream sequences that Lyra is going to have. Because that's a way to get out of it. You can always scale everything to the actor. But you can't scale two actors together unless you want to do some fancy Peter Jackson stuff. And I don't see BBC ever giving any show that kind of budget to work with. HBO, maybe, but uh, the BBC by itself, I don't know. We are totally happy that there's going to be a season three. That's absolutely wonderful news. And I can't wait to see what they do with the treatment of the Amber Spyglass. Only eight episodes for that book seems... Um, like it's going to be a difficult adaptation, but, uh, Jane Tranter, who originally wanted to do two seasons, now she's on board with a single eight episode season and I really trust her. So I'm going to trust that her and Jack have worked this out to a point where it's going to be just fine. And I guess I've run out of book stuff to talk about. If you want to contact me personally, uh, and just, you know, berate me for not really knowing anything about the books and still deciding to talk about them anyway, feel free to tweet at Musical Concepts and we will be back where we will announce our winners next week, January 5th, 2020. The contest podcast drops as well as our thoughts wrapping up the season, I suppose. We might want to do something like that because it's not all about us as much as i try to make this podcast all about me um typically it doesn't work typically the show supersedes us quite a bit so uh we will see you next time take care